and welcome to the Parley at the Hindu. I'm Sohasini Heather. We're discussing India's policy towards Rohingya refugees who fled to India over the past decade. Now, this week actually marks five years since the worst attacks that led to more than 740,000 Rohingya uh, to flee Myanmar's Rakhine state. After what the United Nations Special Envoy has actually called a, quote, genocide by the Myanmar military. Only a small portion of those, an estimated 20,000, reached India. But they live today as stateless people with few amenities in many of the cities they're in, including in Delhi, and no recognition from the government, which calls them illegal foreigners. The government, in fact, has uh, reaffirmed this week that it plans to go ahead with its uh, proposal to deport them. We're asking if India's refugee policy, particularly towards Rohingya, needs to change. Today with me uh, is former ambassador to Myanmar, Vivek Kaju, as well as Human Rights Watch South Asia director, Minakshi Ganguly, who's joining us from London. Minakshi, I'd like to come to you first and ask you if you could describe India's policy thus far towards the Rohingyas and uh, does it need to change? Is it humane enough? Thank you for having me, Suhasini. I think there are two issues here. It's policy and politics. India's record on refugee uh, protections is actually quite exemplary. It is, we have often referred to India when we've spoken to other governments, because starting with the Tibetans and the Sri Lankans and Afghans and so on, there have been the Bhutanese and even people from Myanmar. India has hosted hundreds of thousands of refugees, even though there is often the case that uh, India will argue that it has not signed the refugee convention, there has been a particularly humane approach. Now we come to the politics of this. We are uh, right now led by a government that ideologically wants to promote Hindu rights, but that also uh, reflects on how they treat other minorities and particularly Muslims. The Rohingya happen to be Muslim. And therefore, often when we hear political leaders speak, they don't even seem to be able to distinguish between the Rohingya who have suffered some of the world's worst atrocities that any that, that have been visited upon any community and irregular immigrants, economic immigrants from Bangladesh. They can't seem to even distinguish between the two. And, and therefore, they, you know, often the rhetoric is that they are taking away Indian job, jobs from Indians, are a burden on Indians. And above all, and which is the most terrifying of it all, uh, these sort of unsubstantiated um, allegations that thousands of Rohingya are for some reason a security threat or a terror threat. So that is where it is really concerning to see how politics is impacting what has largely been a very humane policy that India has always adopted towards refugees. Right. And Ambassador Kachu, you have actually, as uh, ambassador to Myanmar, you followed this relationship. And the Rohingyas have, of course, had problems inside their country for decades. Um, the question again, how would you describe India's policy towards Rohingyas so far? I'm happy to endorse uh, what Minakshi Ji has said about uh, India's record of dealing for how it is dealt with people who have come to India to seek refuge, even though India has not signed the international instruments on refugees. Indeed, uh, the present UN Secretary General in his earlier avatar as uh, head of the as the High Commissioner for for refugees, had told me much the same thing in uh, 2008 
when I was working and I called on him uh, in Geneva. And at that stage, of course, he was urging that, that, we should, that India should sign these instruments. That's the traditional view of the UN system. Uh, but uh, India has its position on the instruments uh, and the origin of the instruments, and therefore it has a particular view. Now, uh, when it comes to the Rohingyas, uh, we all know the history of uh, the Rohingya issue. We know that uh, that uh, India has only about what forty thousand or that's the number that is that is generally accepted. Whereas there are Islamic countries going from Saudi Arabia to Pakistan to uh, Malaysia, where there are there are lakhs and lakhs of Rohingyas, and in Saudi Arabia it goes back to 1973 uh, when King Faisal himself had given them assurances of uh, full and equal treatment, and yet these countries have never done so. So I think it's unfair to accuse India of maltreatment of uh, the Rohingya refugees. Also, there is, of course, politics on the refugee issue in all countries. So uh, the refugee question can never be divorced from politics. We are seeing it in Europe. We are seeing it in the United States and elsewhere. Now, should there be discriminatory treatment of uh, any person who's, who seeks refuge in India, my position is, which I think would be the position of all, is that there shouldn't be such. And in fact, I cannot in this context but recall what my old colleague uh, Hardeep Singh Puri in his earlier recently said that India, and if I quote him, that uh, India provides refuge to all regardless of their race, religion or creed. And I do believe that the government should follow this. What Puri has said, placed on record. Sure, but it is that question you also mentioned and Ms. Ganguly also mentioned. Previous cases where India took in Tibetans, uh, Sri Lankans, Afghans in 1996, something, uh, a policy you were a part of as well. Even Myanmar's political refugees have over the decades before uh, they had elections in Myanmar in the 2012s, uh, they had uh, got shelter in India and they had got some kind of homes, they'd got some kind of recognition as refugees in the country, even though India does not uh, officially follow the UN refugee policy. So my question is, are the Rohingyas being treated differently or has Indian policy, in a, in a sense, changed? In the last year, we've also seen India refusing to take Afghan refugees uh, in a departure from the past. So do you think Rohingyas, as they have come in, in 2017 in particular, have been treated differently? Look, Sohasni, the fact is that uh, India, like many other countries, uh, has been impacted by international Islamist terrorism. And uh, therefore, there is a greater sensitivity in India, uh, as in other countries, uh, when uh, people uh, come to India faith. Should they be that? I don't think so. But these are facts of life. And uh, even as we speak, uh, we, we've had a case of someone who is of, apparently of Central Asian origin wanting to come to India via uh, Russia. So I can understand the concern of the security agency. But should that mean that uh, we do not 
provide any community of refugees in India uh, with a basic degree of amenities so that they can lead quote-unquote civilized life is something which I believe uh, should be there. We need to do. After all, it's part of our tradition. All right. Uh, Ms. Ganguly, if I could just get your perspective on that, because you had earlier mentioned refugees of the past, and you'd said there's a difference between the politics and the policy that we have seen from India. But do you think even the policy has changed alongside the politics? Well, the entire idea of the CAA when it was enacted did discriminate on the basis of religion, which, which is why it is a bit problematic. Which is why I would also like to explain who the Rohingya are. The Rohingya are ethnically South Asian. In fact, that is why the Burmese call them Kala, because they, they look South Asian. So the discrimination against the Rohingya in Myanmar is to a large part based on their ethnicity. And naturally, that ethnicity, since it's more South Asian, they suggest that they belong in what was previously all of India, you know, where Bangladesh was part of the uh, colonial Indian uh, map. And that, that is where the Rohingya should belong. I also want to flag that around the world, refugees are a challenge now. And for, for, for a variety of reasons, most of all, as economies struggle, as jobs fall flat, people are struggling with trying to support other communities. So it is that principled approach that requires persuasion by the state of host communities. Where I find it problematic here is that in the past, you know, Tamil Nadu, Tamil people hosted the Tamils from Sri Lanka. The in the, the Burmese were hosted by, by the Chin were hosted by the Mizos in the Northeast. The Rohingya have scattered because there is no ethnic community as such that is able to host them. And at that point of time, from the state, if all we are getting is rhetoric of hate, creation of this massive suspicion that they are for some reason a security challenge to India, then that becomes a massive problem. And that is where I find it disturbing that politics is coming into what is really supporting a community that is incredibly discriminated against. I mean, the Rohingya are one of the saddest communities that we work with. They have, they have been ill-treated for so long in Myanmar. They have bounced around. They, they, they are the ones that are on the boats trying to find refuge all the time and, and sinking and dying in the Bay of Bengal. It is a very difficult community. Um, and therefore, I would love to see India do something different, address the root problem. The Rohingya will always say they want to go back home, as will any refugee. So if India were to support international initiatives, take a leadership role, in fact, on international in initiatives that creates conditions for the Rohingya to go back home safely, voluntarily, and with dignity, which is the basic principle of refugee rights. And that requires international action. Why is it that the Myanmar military that visited such horrors on the Rohingya have since occupied office in Burma and are getting away with it? Why is it that India has not spoken up much more loudly on trying to get the junta held to account? Sure. Ambassador Kachu, I'd like to put that question to you. Firstly, could India have played a bigger, a more effective role in the safe repatriation of Rohingya refugees? Can it play that role? And really, how much of this treatment of the Rohingya, because yeah, as I said, the government calls them illegal foreigners. In any kind of joint statement with Myanmar, 
we normally find that uh, they don't mention the Rohingya at all. Um, they mention people displaced from Rakhine State, but they certainly don't refer to them as refugees. So how much is diplomacy the reason for India's behavior towards the Rohingya? How much are bilateral ties with Myanmar a part of it? And could India, as Ms. Ganguly is suggesting, play a bigger role in their safe repatriation? I'll put it very bluntly. India has major security interests in Myanmar. And it is not unnatural for a country like India, which shares such a long border, a border which has uh, had a history of trouble, uh, to look at its security interests first and foremost. I have no reluctance in saying, as a former diplomat, I do believe that countries pursue their security interests. Now, second, Inakshiji is absolutely right that uh, within Myanmar, ethnicity is a very, very sensitive and difficult issue. It is not only uh, the Rohingya of South Asian origin who are uh, stateless today, but there are communities uh, which went uh, from Bihar, for instance, and which are there in central Myanmar, who I believe are still stable. It's not a good thing. It's not something that uh, India or any other country would like, but that is a part of uh, the xenophobia uh, that the Burman within, Burman community within Myanmar has traditionally shown. Now, is it easy to deal with the, uh, with the Myanmar military? Uh, of course, they are insular. There was a hope at one stage uh, during the previous decade that they will open up, but that hope hasn't come. Hope hasn't, hasn't been achieved. There are various international reasons. Uh, the last point, should India take the lead? I should imagine that the lead should be taken in this case by those countries that have hosted the Myanmar, uh, the Rohingyas for decades. And tr truly, the focus of human rights organizations should be on them. How have the Saudis treated uh, the Rohingya? How has Pakistan treated the Rohingya? How have the Malaysians treated? And I can name country after country whose record of treating the Rohingyas is abysmal. And they have the Rohingyas in much larger numbers. So, and they claim to have solidarity with them. So if a leadership role is to be played, it should be by them. All right. Uh, Pastor Kajur, if I could ask you, because you mentioned the countries that are hosting them. Of course, Bangladesh has more than a million Rohingya living in Cox's Bazaar. Some of them have been moved to an island called Bhashanchar. Sheikh Hasina, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, will be visiting India in early September. She's often made the case that uh, the this issue of the Rohingyas, their safe repatriation to Myanmar, is a big issue for Bangladesh. This is something India has not uh, so far, you know, really been able to achieve in terms of trilateral conversations between Bangladesh, Myanmar and India. Uh, however, we have seen the Chinese uh, officials able to broker some kind of an agreement between Bangladesh and Myanmar. So my question is, Is uh, will ties with Bangladesh in any way be impacted uh, if India continues to uh, uh, continues with this bilateral 
uh, approach towards the Rohingyas, and in particular by the government's decision that has been reaffirmed again, that they want to deport them. They've already deported about 12 over the last few years, one this year, um, and they intend to deport the rest is what the government says. Do you think ties with Bangladesh will be impacted? Look, I have never known any country which has been able to deport quote-unquote refugees, and I'm using occupation marks because we don't technically recognize anyone who is in India in these capacities as refugees because we are not signatories to these conventions. So I have not known any country which has been able to deport them in an insignificant number. That is one. Second, as a former diplomat, I would tread very, very carefully on an issue of such sensitivity between two of our neighbors. We have excellent ties uh, with Bangladesh. I think we've tried to assist them as much as we can in helping them keep the Rohingyas and naturally uh, their own uh, interest in seeing that they're repatriated back to the to the refined state is perfectly understandable. At the same time, the Chinese are in a different position when it comes to Myanmar. The Chinese approach to Myanmar has never been clouded uh, by human rights concerns. Furthermore, the Chinese, I think, going back to the 1980s, the Myanmar military has felt has unequivocally stood by. So they have a little more purchase on these issues. So if they need, need want to mediate, good luck to them. But I, for one, would be very wary of coming in uh, in this issue uh, because I don't know how much purchase we really have. All right. That's, a, that's an important point. How much can India really do? Uh, Ms. Ganguly, if I could ask you this question of deporting Rohingyas. Of course, there is the international principle of non-refoulement. India has not so, so far accepted that as one of its commitments. Should the government worry that a continued policy of deportation of Rohingyas or uh, the current policy that India is adopting with them will have an impact on India's human rights records. We know later this year there will be a universal periodic review at the Human Rights Council as well. Uh, should India, uh, should the government worry at all about that? Well, the government has, uh, you know, the UPR in, looks at many human rights issues, including perhaps the treatment of refugees, and, and those are all going to be uh, under scrutiny. On the deportation, you know, one of the cases that we were documenting was of a woman called Hasina who was sent off earlier um, earlier this year. And it was inexplicable. She's a mother of three. She was detained and she was, you know, they literally, and this was, you know, in those pandemic times when travel was hard, they, you know, shipped her with, 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 S, with security force escort all the way to the Manipur border where the Manipur Human Rights Commission actually said that they should not deport a woman alone, unaccompanied by her family, in, into an area where she's likely at risk. The security forces ignored the commission's findings and sent her across. Now, I, I find it extraordinary. I mean, it just seems like a like an extraordinary sort of meanness almost uh, by the authorities to have done this. And I, which is why I don't quite understand what the policy is. As the ambassador said, sending, because refugees, when they leave, come in large numbers because they are almost always facing an immediate threat to their life. They will, so 
to dip to send them back is a complicated process because it has to be safe for them to go back for the human rights reasons that I would promote, but for the more practical reasons that if they're unsafe, they're going to come back. So there has to be a lasting solution. So therefore, I do not understand why these um, actions are taken because I often feel that that is uh, somehow linked to sort of making a political statement as opposed to a principle statement on, on how these things have to be addressed. I'm glad that Ambassador Kaju has mentioned China. I think the Myanmar policy, India's Myanmar policy has always bent towards human rights. And uh, when the Suchi government was initially not recognized, India had cut off ties with the junta. And therefore, there had there had been space created for Chinese engagement, which, which Ambassador Kaju knows much more about than I do. But as of now, these deals that the repatriation agreements that, uh, that China has been brokering between Bangladesh and Myanmar have all failed. Because as soon as they people are there are these buses waiting at the border to take them across and no one shows up, the refugees just run away because they are not going to feel safe. This is the most basic human instinct. They are not if they're not going to feel safe, if they think their families are going to be once again subjected to massacres and rapes, they're not going to go back. Or if they are forced back, they will leave again. So therefore, there has to be a broader solution. And of course, I will. You know, any diplomat will always tell me that I'm naive because I'm looking for a solution in a most complicated part of the world where Aung San Suu Kyi, after all, defended um, the military at the, at the Hague. So, you know, this is a complicated part of the world. But the solution lies only in persuading the authorities concerned to allow people to go back, all refugees to return safely to where they want to be, which is home. All right, Ambassador Kachu, would you like to respond in any way to that and to the question when the government makes it clear that it still wants to deport Rohingya, regardless of whether they face a threat to their lives back home or not, do you think India should worry about how this uh, makes its its human rights record look? Uh, look, in principle, uh, who can disagree with uh, what uh, every country should be ideal? People should be safe. There should be no discrimination. Uh, but unfortunately, in my professional capacity, retired long time. In my professional capacity, uh, the world I inhabited was far from ideal. And the government, uh, like the Myanmar the government, has its own logic. They have their own historical baggage, their own complexity. It's a very, very difficult. To try to seek to persuade them in a positive manner. My own experience is that evolution in these issues has to come from within societies and polities themselves. After all, what are we seeing in in the UK today? There's an attempt at moving refugees or migrants to third world countries to Africa. For God, what does that show? And Minakshi Ji is in London too. And the West boasts of its human rights record ad nauseum. Now, I'm relating that to India's UPR. Will these countries have any credibility if they want to criticize our human rights record? That is the question that I ask myself. What capacity will they cast the first stone? So this is the unfortunate reality. And therefore, uh, I have been saying that if countries that can move 
on this issue. Like the Saudis, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, like the Saudis, who have clout in the Islamic world, in the OIC, they can move. If the Malaysians, if they all are totally silent on this, then I think pointing fingers at India is not a particularly fair thing. Now, your last point on, on deportation. As I have told you, I have not known of historical cases or history what history teaches us that it's easy to deport large numbers of people. I'm not aware of the individual case that Pilati said, but the very fact that she was able to point to only one individual case, there may be a handful more, itself shows that there is a great gap between uh, what state government statements and actions on the ground. Yeah, Ms. Ganguly, if I could ask you finally, all of this has been defended by the Indian government with the idea that India does not actually, it has not signed on to the International Convention on Refugees. And in fact, it does not even have a refugee law. So my question to you would be, what kind of a refugee law or a refugee policy India should have? Or does India actually need a refugee law? Because as, as you have pointed out yourself, India has over the decades opened its arms to many, many groups that have fled here. Yeah, thank you. I mean, of course, there are international standards and international policies that need to be followed by all states uh, in the universal principles of human rights. Do states that have signed the Refugee Convention also follow them? Ambassador Kaju is absolutely right. There are there, Most countries do not treat their refugees particularly well. And sitting in London, it's also been quite interesting to see how even within the public, there was much more sympathies, for instance, for the people that were leaving Ukraine than the people that were leaving Afghanistan or, or Syria just a year prior to that. So, so there are all these challenges that are, which is why, a state has to be above these kind of sort of views or discriminatory approaches to people. A state has to have a common standard. And that state has to always say, when people are in dire straits, we have to help them. To Sheikh Hasina's credit, when the refugees first came, she actually went there and said that if if I can feed 200 million people, 150 million people, I will feed one, one million more. Is she getting frustrated now? Yes, the Bangladesh government is getting frustrated now because it's five years on. And actually, the situation in Myanmar has worsened because now, of course, the same Myanmar military that was committing these atrocities is in power. So therefore, these are complicated issues. The principle has to always be a, a commitment to universal human dignity without discrimination. If states can adopt that, then it would then that is all we would need. I I. Do not think that trying to say that this country is worse than that country ever works because it, it that's not the point. The point is the universe, universal principles that we need to sort of deploy more and more as we see more and more discrimination, more and more hate wherever we look. So therefore, you know, just states. And again, I suppose that this, this is me being a dreamer, but then this is probably why I wake up every morning. It is the hope that the leadership of the world will will get away from their sort of little ambitions, their little electoral ambitions, and commit to why they want to seek power in the first place. Assuming they want to seek power because they want to do good, when they are in office, why do they not do good? Why do why is it sort of so 
shrinking down, which is why I loved what happened with, and I welcomed what happened with Hardeep Puri's tweet. He scolded people like us because they said, stop criticizing India. Here is India doing the right thing. And now's the time for India to do that right thing. Why take it back? May I come in? Uh, yes, please. And if you could also answer that question, is does India actually need a policy or a refugee law? I don't think that India will ever sign these instruments because of the nature of their origin. India feels that they are discriminatory, and I think with much justification. Now, do we need a refugee law? I think uh, the politics within India today would make it very difficult to have such a refugee. Uh, my third point is, in principle, I entirely agree that states could be non-discriminatory in all their approaches. In fact, I feel committed to it myself. I'm also reminded of the fact that human history itself is a history of migration. And that all migration have, through history, through the millennia, been extremely challenging, extremely troubling, even extremely violent. And today, fortunately, states are trying their best to reduce that aspect, not in time, but states have to respond to society. States are not uh, amorphous entities. And therefore, I'm not holding a brief for any state, but those who manage states have to be conscious of the pressures on them. And uh, unfortunately, the pragmatism often and always perhaps overtakes idealism. Of course, the world should be ideal, but the world is what it is. All right. Well, we'll have to end this very interesting discussion on this note. Clearly, a more humane policy in principle is not something anyone would quarrel with. But the idea of both India's uh, existing policy and the politics of the day makes this issue and particularly the issue of Rohingya refugees that much more complex. I'd like to thank Ambassador Vivek Karchu and Ms. Minakshi Ganguly for joining us. If you have been listening to The Parley at The Hindu, thanks for joining Thank you. Thank you.